What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Granham. More depth charts. Now we go forwards and bigs, right? We go forwards and bigs. Today, we're going to go through wings and bigs. We're going to figure out what we think the depth charts might look like. If you missed our episode on Monday, we went through the guards, and I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation just because it kind of highlighted how many different looks the Celtics could put together at guard, how many different potential options, and some of those names that we mentioned on Monday are going to come back up today. So, Granham, before we get into wings and bigs, why don't you just uh, give a shout-out to our close pals over at the Shades on Beer Company. Yes, even if we're not drafting, we always want to shout-out our friends at Shades on Beer Company. They're the makers of the Geno Time Stout and plenty of other delicious products. Check out on Carries, the Juice Found 3, Buffalo Check. As I mentioned on the last pod, they were all big hits of uh, my friends last weekend. So we give them a thumbs up. My friends give them a thumbs up. Check out the Shades on Beer Garden and Tasting Room in West Kingston, Rhode Island, and keep an eye out for the Geno Time Stout and their other products if you live in the Boston area and Rhode Island. So shout out to our friends over at Shades on. All right, let's start with the wings. I think this is a relatively easy conversation. I think the only question about it is kind of how Ime Udoka is going to define wings. The easy ones, obviously, Jalen and Jason are going to start basketball games for the Celtics this year. Anytime they are healthy, that seems pretty clear. I think the only interesting conversation to have about that is what Jalen will be classified as. Because as we said on the last podcast, he's really good at the two when he can play bully ball, when he can kind of get into that mid-range and work from there. Obviously, the Celtics didn't have him do that last year. They preferred to have him on the three-point line. I'm curious how Ime will use Jalen. Obviously, he's a very versatile player. One way or the other, I think if the Celtics do use Jalen as a two, I think it will be much more that they have a lead ball handler, three wings, and a big or you know, two wings and two bigs, however they go about it, rather than having like, I know you may have talked about, you know, having Jalen and Jason handle the ball a little bit more, but I do think in that instance, it would be a little bit more wings handling the ball rather than having, you know, rather than having sort of a second guard, if that makes any sense as a distinction. Yeah, it does make sense. Again, I, I think a lot of these decisions about how to classify a player like Jalen or how to label him as a player is going to really have a domino effect on the rest of the lineup because we talked about different combinations in the backcourt on our last episode. A lot of that depends on how Ime Udoka wants to utilize Jalen. If he wants to get him with the ball in his hands more as that ball handler, which he showed some pretty drastic improvements last season. You know, if he plays him at the two, you play, maybe you could bump Josh Richardson up and play him at the three because he's like six, five ish. So oh, there's options there. There's, there's plenty of flexibility is the bottom line. Of course, at that point, if, if Jalen slides down to the two and Richardson slides up to the three, it's more like, I mean, like, it's more like Jalen is three anyway. You know what I mean? Like but playing exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's a there's a bunch of ways they can go with these lineups. And it's difficult for us to kind of project some of these depth charts because we've never seen it's a new coaching staff. You know, we've never seen how they how Imodoka really wants to approach this roster, but this just has a real trickle down effect because these are the focal points of the offense with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And, you know, do they go double big? Obviously, we'll talk about that later. There's plenty of options there, but I think there's a good chance we could see them put the ball in, in Jalen's hands a little bit, which I think is an intriguing option. But to go back on your starting point, I think we can confirm that Jalen and Jason will start basketball games for the Celtics and they'll likely be alongside Marcus Smart. But at this point, who really knows who else they'll be alongside? So the next part of the conversation, I think, is the more interesting one when it comes to the wings. Who backs up Jalen and Jason and how does that go? Because as things stand right now, you know, we talked last time about the guard depth and how many solid guards there are. But when you get to the wings, 
there really is not nearly as much wing depth unless somebody like Aaron Neesmith takes a pretty major step forward or, you know, Romeo Langford. Because after those two guys, the wing depth is basically like non-existent and other guards. Then it is like, can Josh Richardson play some wing? Can Marcus Smart slide up to play some wing while, Mm -hmm. you know, Peyton Pritchard plays lead ball handler, whatever it is. Because after that, it is Wancho, it is Romeo, Grant, Jabari. And obviously a lot of those guys are kind of borderline wings as it is. You know, I think Jabari Parker at least has some size to him. I'm sure that's part of the reason the Celtics are considering keeping him around. Just the fact that he has a little bit more size and can maybe guard some bigger guys. And when you're talking about Jabari Parker being a guy who you have for defensive reasons, that really does kind of hammer home how few real wings the Celtics have. So the the biggest question for me isn't necessarily who's going to be there because obviously it's just going to be whoever plays well. And we don't know who that's going to be yet. The biggest question I have is, do we think the Celtics lack of wing depth might be a problem this year? I don't know that I think it will be just because they have Josh Richardson, because Marcus Smart can slide up. And, you know, because I think there's like shuffling that they could do. I kind of think they're going to be okay. I do see the path to them potentially struggling with wing depth, especially if there are injury issues as the year goes on. Yeah, that's when it becomes an issue if their roster starts to shorten because of durability problems, right? That's when it becomes a problem. But All of our depth chart conversations to this point have been about versatility and how many options this team has and how somebody can slide up, somebody can slide down. And that, like you just said, that eliminates something like a lack of wing depth being a major problem. On last year's roster, it's a problem, right? Like you can't get by with that little wing depth. On this year's roster, we just said it. You could have a guy like Jalen slide down. You could have him slide up. Josh Richardson. Same thing. He could slide up. He's got the size to guard plenty of wings. Josh Richardson would have started 25 games last year. He would have started. Yes, exactly. So like, I think they can easily get by with their wing depth. It's not as eye-opening because they added size on the other end and they added some speed and versatility on the lower end of that going back toward the backcourt. So I think they're in pretty good shape. They can rely on Neesmith, you know, a decent amount to provide some of that size, some of that speed, and and they're going to need his shooting. So in a similar sense to Peyton Pritchard, like I talked about maybe them needing his shooting in the backcourt. Well, they could also need the size and shooting from Neesmith. And if he provides some consistency, which we didn't see from him last year, but maybe in year two, he's a little bit more consistent. That's a scenario where I could see Pritchard getting squeezed out for minutes just because he needs an increase in minutes. You know what I mean? So they have some versatility in that backcourt where, all right, Neesmith starts to see extra minutes because he's you know playing well on defense, but he's also shooting the ball well. That could trickle down and hurt a guy like Peyton Pritchard, I think. No, it definitely could. I mean, I think, like you said, we, we talked about this on the last episode, like how the trickle downs really could affect everyone. And I think the larger point about Jalen and Jason both starting like every game, right, is that like if the Celtics do start to have injury issues, it's going to be a problem no matter what because those are their stars. It's, it's like saying, yes, the Celtics will have issues with their wing depth if, you know, there are injury problems. It's the same thing as saying, well, the Hawks are going to have depth scoring problems. Or, you know, yeah. down. I, I think they'll be okay. And I think that the fact that they have some defensive versatility, especially in the guards, will really help. But wing will be a really interesting position. I don't think it'll be quite as competitive from like a minutes perspective as the guards will be, but it certainly will be probably, I think, the most pivotal in terms of how good the Celtics are. Last thing on wings that I was just going through the other day when we were writing out the roster and then just kind of picking apart the depth chart after we recorded. I was just writing out what I thought it would look like. If you're Ime Odoka, you've got to have one of Jalen or Jason on the court at all times, right? That's kind of a necessity with this offense, right? 
I would assume so, unless like one of the guards really takes off. But yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, because I just don't think this team has the scoring to have either of those guys or both of them on the bench at the same time. But that's my only other Jalen and Jason thought. No, I think that's a good point. And I mean, it, it, it'll hurt the Celtics if those two are just like killers when they're on the floor together next year, because like they probably won't be able to spend that much time in kind of the middle of the game on the floor. Yeah. They can start and they can finish. But yeah, I mean, in the middle of the game, it is going to be hard to keep both those guys on the floor just purely because you don't want to play both of them like 44 minutes a night. Yep. So we will see what happens, but that's definitely going to be something to watch. Let's get into the bigs. This is a really interesting one for the same reason that we talked about with the wings, where how Ime Udoka slots everybody in will play a huge role here. I tend to think, I kind of think we're going to see a lot of Al Horford starting whenever he is available. It's kind of tough luck for Rob because he's played great whenever he's in, whenever he's healthy, whenever he's available. And maybe he, you know, maybe he does sneak in there. You know, maybe he does like win that role over Horford. But when you just break down everything that Horford brings to the floor on both ends, Rob brings defensively, Rob brings like chaos, right? Because he does let guys get by him, but he also blocks their shots. And then he's not like great at containing. But at the same time, people are a little bit scared to go to the rim against him. But also, how do you quantify all of that and just kind of have like consistent, valuable defensive production. Whereas Al, I mean, you just kind of know that he's going to know where to be. He's not the speediest guy. And yeah, like if he's isolated one-on-one against like a guard or wing scorer, yeah, he's probably going to be in trouble, but he is in position a lot. And he is offensively a guy who moves the ball and can space the floor. And I just think like that kind of quiet, consistent production could play a major role on a team that might struggle to have, especially on the offensive end, that, that might struggle to have production this year. You're going to need any offensive production you can get. And I think at least early on, Al, you're probably right. Al is a more reliable source of that. This team also has barely any shooting right now. And Al isn't the shooter he was a couple of years ago, but he provides that element of shooting that other teams have to worry about, which you don't get with Rob Williams. and Or Bruno Fernando or Ennis Cantor or exactly. any of those other guys. Exactly. So you can add a tiny bit of spacing there and just another element of shooting, which this roster and, you know, starting lineups in particular so desperately need outside of their wings. And and I think that makes a lot of sense. And kind of sticking with the Geno time theme of what we thought about some of last year's lineups and stuff, Al is an adult and he brings that adult mentality onto the court. He's been around. He's a good playmaker. He's a good scorer. He knows where to be. I think in terms of having that smart veteran decision maker on the court, I think it makes a lot of sense. Granted, I'm thinking about a lot of this in a Brad Stevens coaching mindset, right? Like we have been so programmed to think about the Celtics with Brad Stevens on the bench. And so I have to kind of adjust my mindset, but in my head right now, I'm thinking if they start the season and Rob Williams is the starting center, that's a good sign for the Celtics because that means Rob Williams has taken even further leaps in training camp and maybe they expected more from him. I don't know if that's the case though with Ime Odoka. who knows, maybe he does want to start Rob Williams, but I think it makes more sense, at least to begin the season, to have Al Horford start. And I certainly think it makes the most sense to just have one of them start. I don't think there's any need to go double big to start the season. I think a smart Richardson, Jalen, Jason, and Al Horford starting lineup is a good starting lineup to begin the year with. And sure, against certain lineups, you can go double big. And if they do go double big against certain teams, that makes sense. And that probably opens up some minutes off the bench for a guy like Ennis Ganter. But to start the season, Al Horford as the starting big. I I agree. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. The thing with the double bigs lineup and trying to open up minutes for other guys is like, who would you rather open up minutes for Ennis Cantor or like Dennis Schroeder? Because like 
it's Dennis Schroeder. So like you would rather have like multiple guards in there or, you know, more like guards and wings than you would bigs just purely because I think the minutes break down, you know, in, in a more productive way, you know, if, if it is Schroeder instead of Cantor getting the minutes. 100%. And that's where I kind of, it's really hard to pinpoint Cantor's minutes on this roster right now. Like, I don't know where, granted, there will be plenty of matchups where he's not going to be as much of a liability against certain teams. And he's great on the glass, he's a good offensive player, it's fine. But it's hard to find minutes for him in this front court, realistically. And if he does act as that third string center at the moment, which he very well could, I don't know if they're going to play out the four at all, whatever. But I mean, that's a good third string center option. I just, it's a new role for him, right? For sure. I also am not 100% convinced that he is going to be the third string center because I thought that Bruno Fernando showed some mildly interesting things in summer league. You know, that dude is going to try really hard. You know, I don't think he's like a lockdown defender or like, you know, a spectacular offensive option. But like when you're talking about third string centers, you're generally talking about a pretty limited player anyway. I think in a lot of ways, it's going to come down to what the Celtics need, right? Where like, if you put Cantor in, you are committing hard to rebounds and putbacks and you are not committing at all to having any center defense whatsoever. Like sometimes that's fine, but you need to know what you're committing to. So (laughs) realistically, like Rob is far ahead of him. Like there's guys on the depth chart who are far ahead of him, not just ahead of him. Like guys who it's like, okay, that guy is much better. You know, I mean, especially on a team that is, that is really focused on defense. Ennis is just going to have trouble, you know, breaking into rotation on, you know, kind of on that note. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't see this coaching staff or any coaching staff really who has this roster trying to move pieces around to squeeze in more Ennis Cantor minutes. Like, if you're doing that, like you said, you're sacrificing minutes for guys like Dennis Schroeder or even losing other minutes for potential shooting like Peyton Pritchard. Like, there's the trickle-down effect we were talking about before. That's just not necessary on this roster. This is a really defensive centric team who's going to live off of their ball pressure, who's going to live off that like perimeter speed. There's no need to try and push Ennis Cantor into the bottom of the rotation just to get him in there. That doesn't make much sense at all. I think one of the biggest, well, not one of the biggest, <laughs> one, I guess actually one of the smallest takeaways I have from doing this depth chart is how unlikely it always was that Yam Madar or Juan Begarin would ever come over this year. <laughs> I like that couple months span though. I had fun there. It was fun. It was a good time. It was so true though. There's these, those guys didn't stand a chance at touching the course. As soon as it was clear that Dennis Schroeder was not going to get $77 million over the next four years, it became a tough look. I mean, honestly too, man, like if, if we had just kind of taken a look around at the guards, it's like, okay, would you rather have Yam Madar playing big minutes or Etwan Moore? You know, and like Etwan Moore just signed a deal like last week, I think. There there were much better guard options. Yeah. You know, and like those guys have some promise, like certainly, but there were much better options than Yam Madar and Juwan Begarin for this team. And probably better options for them as well. Granted, there's tremendous benefits of being on an NBA roster and working with NBA staffs, but they're going to get a lot of minutes overseas and they're going to play a much bigger role. And I think the Celt- it sounded like the Celtics were pretty confident in the scenarios they were going back to overseas. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And it, I mean, I guess it is interesting too to remember like, you know, we have this idea like, okay, those guys will be coming over eventually. It's worth remembering that they were both second round picks and like, I assume they'll come over at some point, but like, it's also possible that next season the Celtics trade for a star guard and then sign a couple more, you know, load up. Like, I mean, it, you know, it could be a tough path over to the NBA for those guys if they don't, you know, really show out at the Euro level and then have a good summer league over here. Like they, they have a lot to work on. Yeah. This is not a, these are not draft and stash guys that the Celtics took at number 18 or something like that. You know, they're not being really held to the fire to say, you got to get these guys over here now 
or in the next year because these are valuable, valuable assets that we used on them. They're good players and I think they have promise, but you're right. There's not a guarantee that they come over. Those late draft and stashes are always kind of up in the air. You never really know what's going to happen with them. I like to, I always like to remember not the Marcus Thornton that everybody knows, but the other one. Like that was always like the quintessential draft and stash for me. Yeah. And then obviously the last two guys, the last two guys who are actually, you know, full-time members of the roster are both tweeners. So, you know, it's kind of appropriate that we haven't talked about them up until this point because, I mean, they're not really wings and they're not really bigs, but we have Grant Williams and Wancho Hernan Gomez. This is going to be an interesting one because, you know, Wancho has some potential as a guy who can be, you know, a tall player, you know, who's who's (laughs) on the floor sometimes. And, you know, that's something that Grant can't really boast but I, I mean I don't know Grant had a, had kind of a disappointing year last year I don't totally know like he works really hard I don't totally know what his NBA role looks like at this point like you know you look at somebody like I, I know PJ Tucker was often kind of the comparison before he was drafted but PJ Tucker is just a much more natural shooter and mm-hmm. you know moves a lot more naturally like a wing whereas Grant you know you, they asked him to play some wing last year and he did not do well it was bad. Small ball five is, is much more his position, but Celtics are pretty set at center and they don't really need to have small ball guys. Like it's tough to see how Grant breaks in. I have a hard time seeing how he fits on this roster, how he gets minutes. Wancho feels a little bit more natural defensively. At least he's, he's tall and he can kind of slot in, in a couple of different places. Yeah. We love Grant. Grant's a great guy, but I, I think he has quickly turned into the tweener that a lot of people feared during that draft, right? Because he always was that small ball big and had some of the potential to be a wing, but he has shown less than that potential in his, you know, first couple of years here at the wing. You know, and it's funny. It's not even, I don't even know that you would call him a small ball big. I think you just call him a small big because yeah. a small ball big is somebody like Draymond who can guard five You're right. positions and, you know, maybe space the floor a little bit. Grant, he can't really do that. I mean, he's he's gotten a lot better at defending the pick and roll as the five, but I ha- I wouldn't say he's gotten so good at it that the Celtics are like, we should find minutes for Grant. I think right. it's more like this is where Grant can plug in and do his best. And it's really hard because, like you said, they don't really need a small big on this roster right now. They have guys like Juancho. They have Jabari Parker they can throw in as a backup power forward who can maybe provide some things that – Grant hasn't really shown the ability to do on a consistent basis. So it's not lining up all that well for Grant. I think Juancho, you said it's a more natural fit. I just, I think it is. None of these guys are going to play major minutes, but Juancho could find some minutes. He has a little bit of shooting upside. He's shown occasional glimpses more so than someone like Grant. I just think that as a backup power forward, as the season goes on, unless Grant really shows some further defensive leaps, I think there's a chance that they could lean toward Juancho or Jabari as that backup for more than Grant, which is too bad because again, we like Grant and Grant plays his ass off, but I just think Juancho and or Jabari might make more sense. All right. So last thing before we go here, let's take a quick look depth chart wise at the three guys who we know are with the team right now, but who are not signed, not members of the full rotation yet. We have Jawan Morgan, we have Luke Corn and we have Sam Hauser and obviously three guys who play kind of different positions but you know everybody's kind of vying for these last spots I mean I think Jawan Morgan and Sam Hauser will be the two two-way slots and Luke Cornett will probably you know pro- probably end up somewhere else I thought Cornett gave the Celtics some interesting looks last year you know he competed against Joel Embiid pretty hard he obviously he got you know put in the basket a couple of times but like he tried really hard and he's very tall and I mean those things matter against Joel Embiid but I do think that getting Ennis Cantor 
was kind of the Celtics answer, you know, quote unquote, because you can only answer a seven foot two MVP candidate, you know, so much. But I do think that Ennis being on the roster and being big and strong and, you know, kind of a guy who can body up against the Embiid's and Jokic's of the world probably ends any possibility of, you know, Luke Cornett just being on the roster to try really hard against much better players. I will admit, I did not expect Luke Cornett to play as well as he did for various stints last year. Now, again, he didn't make some mammoth impact and blow the season open or something for the but he was good. When they got him at the deadline, I was like, oh, Luke Cornett, like, he's definitely, like, gone. Like, I didn't even really expect him to arrive in Boston at that point, and he was pretty good. And I know he has some fans in the Celtics front office, and it's clear because they gave him an Exhibit 10, but I think we talked about it. It's hard to get onto an NBA roster, especially as you move through you know, the later portion, mid portions of your career, I should say, with a guy like Luke Cornett, who's kind of bounced around from the Knicks to the Bulls to the Celtics. And I think there's a good chance he could end up with the main Celtics maybe and be one of those pipeline guys for the time being, because again, the Celtics do like him, but there's just no real place for him on this roster. And I think it makes more sense to send him to the G League, like you said, bring in Juwan Morgan at the second two-way slot because Juwan Morgan, while he doesn't provide really any offensive upside at this point, he does provide the two-way, the upside of a two-way player who can actually come in and impact the game, which the Celtics haven't had in the last couple of years. So that is a positive on a defensive-centric team. So I think it makes a lot of sense for Morgan to be that other two-way guy. I do wonder, you know, if the Celtics bring in a couple of other guys for the training camp, I don't think it's like guaranteed that Juwan Morgan is going to win that other two-way slot. You know, I know there, there was like talk of the Celtics. I think it was Anthony Brown. They worked him out recently. I could 100% see somebody else getting that roster spot. I think Sam Hauser could be a pretty decent player from what we saw in summer league. I know you were super down on him after the draft. I would I love for him to be great just because you you need to be taken down a little bit after <laughs> nailing Juwan Beggar and uh, Peyton Pritchard. Like we need, to, uh, <laughs> we need to cut you down to size a little bit here. But. Yeah, I do have to be brought back down to earth a little bit. I'm you riding on a heater. Flying a little too close to the sun up there, Greta. I've been riding that heater, yeah. But he did prove me wrong already at summer league. I was not expecting well, to look as no, good as he did not. I mean, like, well, for summer league, I came out. I was like, he's not going to be good at summer league either. If okay. you had asked me that, I would have said, yeah, he's not going to be that good defensively. But he he showed me some things. He's pretty good for sure. And so I mean, yeah. I would I think you know you talk about a guy who might be able to come in and, and contribute as a two way player. Sam Hauser can shoot and play a little defense. Like that's like that's a good two way player. Uh, so we will see. But I think one way or the other, that will be an interesting battle, but a little bit different type of one. Well, I was just going to say about your point that it's not a guarantee that Juwan Morgan is going to be that second two-way guy. I 100% agree. I mean, listening to the way, I think it was our last media availability we had with Brad Stevens, when someone asked him toward the end of the media avail if you know, they were actively looking for two-way guys, whatever. He was saying they're going to make that decision as late as possible because around training camp times, other guys get cut, other guys leave potential two-way slots. Like it sounded like they were leaving the possibility open to examine the market as late as they possibly could. And look at a team like the Bulls. They had a guy like Max Struess fall into their lap because the Celtics had him in a two-way slot. They pushed him out and then he went to Chicago because they locked him in. Now he's in Miami, but there's a lot of things that can happen around training camp. And I think Brad Stevens is well aware of that. I totally agree. I don't think it's set in stone by any means. All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can DM them directly to Chris Granham on Twitter. But as always, we appreciate you guys for listening and for uh, anybody who's left us a rating or a review. Those things really matter. And we do appreciate anybody who's done that for us. And we will talk to you all again later this week.